0: Hello, everyone. It's been a 007 back for another 10 minute movie review that is most likely going to overrun today because we are talking about Ridley Scott's new film, Napoleon, all about the French military general and self-appointed emperor in the late 18th and early 19th centuries a man who single-handedly brought most of Europe to war against him and was finally defeated at the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. A war so iconic and so important in European history, that nerd that I am in history, obsessive that I am, I actually set up a Twitter account called At Relive Waterloo, which still exists. And if you want to see how that battle came together and then died a death, Um, over the course of the year, you can still find it on Twitter. So I'm only saying that just to show that I am a little bit of a history obsessive and have read many, many books about Napoleon. I'm going to review this film in two ways. First of all, how it stands on its own merits. If you don't know the history, or to quote Ridley Scott, you've gotten a life and don't care about the history, does it just stand up on its own terms? And then secondly, how you would approach it if you do care about the history? So, the first thing to say about Napoleon is that it's directed by a man who understands sweeping historical epics. Ridley Scott directed Gladiator, which I continue to believe is just incredibly good fun. He understands how to construct a film, how to pace a film, how to recreate iconic moments in history. And maybe it's an advantage that he doesn't get too captivated by recreating line by line history so that he can give us real emotional and military drama. And on that basis, I think the film does succeed, at least in its battle scenes. There are four major battles that we see, charting the course of Napoleon's life. And again, I think it's really admirable that Ridley Scott and his screenwriter David Scarper, even in this shorter theatrical cut that's just over two and a half hours, really do manage to give you a broad sweep of Napoleon's career. We join him as a young gunnery officer, seeing Marie Antoinette get beheaded in the early 1790s. And we see him finally in his last big battle at Waterloo in 1815. The four battles that Ridley Scott chooses to show, show the charting of his success and failure. So we have the Battle of Toulon, which really sees a very young Napoleon make his name by capturing a port that the British are blockading. He seems to have a lifelong hatred of British ships. But it's really well done because it does show you the tactics of how they took the port and why he was unusual in the strategy that he wanted to employ. The second battle, I think, is really the standout, iconic sequence of the film. It's the Battle of Austerlitz that took place in 1805. It was France versus Russia and Austria. And I think most military historians would say that this is really Napoleon's most genius moment of tactics. And arguably one of the best tactically fought battles in the wide sweep of history. And I think Ridley Scott beautifully shows you how the battle is formed, what the tactics are, without ever being didactic. It looks so stunning. It's a frosty, wintry moment fought on ice in Austria, I think actually now the Czech Republic. And you really feel this evocative atmosphere, you feel the peril. Um, it's just the, an unbelievably visually arresting battle sequence. And I honestly think it's worth going to the cinema to see that battle sequence on the big screen alone, even if you dismiss the entire rest of the film. So Austerlitz absolutely gets the place it deserves. The third battle that we see in the film is fast forwarding now to 1812. Napoleon is now an emperor, he has seized control of France and the French Empire. And rather than fighting defensive wars, because up until now, he's just been fighting to protect his homeland against other people who would come against him. He's now fighting offensive wars. And he goes to war with Russia, approaching winter, which everyone will tell you is madness. And it's an absolute disaster. He loses hundreds of thousands of troops. And the seminal battle here is the Battle of Borodino, which you can watch recreated in the iconic film version of War and Peace directed by Sergei Bondarchuk, who had the advantage of filming this during the Soviet Union, where he could basically tell the Red Army to give him all the troops and literally just recreate it. That is a truly, probably hands down, the best depiction of of a battle on film. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, Ridley Scott doesn't even really attempt to recreate Borodino. He shows actually rather a visually arresting shot of Napoleon on horseback, sabre in hand, but we don't really see the battle. And then I guess the major battle sequence after Austerlitz's is Waterloo, which is, I think it's well done for the time that he has because this is really the culmination of a 3-day battle it's incredibly complicated as my Twitter live feed will tell you um and I think really Scott does a good good way of you know showing us the the sort of sequence of the infantry and the cavalry charges and why Wellington's tactics were superior and the relief when the Prussians turn up I really think if you didn't know anything about the Battle of Waterloo, you'd have a good grasp of what happened and why it was significant in watching this sequence. And again, very well reenacted. I'm not sure where they got all the troops from, but I think it's it's really well done. It's no Bondarchuk, but I think you know for modern filmmaking where we actually care about animal welfare for a start, I think it's incredibly well done. So for those people coming to the film wanting to see the great Napoleonic battles, the the me of success in Austerlitz, the stalemate in Borodino, and then the final defeat at Waterloo you get that arc of military genius turned to military failure. Um, I still don't think that the film would quite hang together, though, because it's so quick. It tries to take in so much political change. I really wonder whether a neutral audience member who didn't know much of the history would have a clue what's going on and why on earth is Russia now an enemy or an ally? What's going on with Austria? Why does all of Europe hate Napoleon? Why is he now an emperor? Who's staging a coup against whom? I think it... Sometimes when you reduce history to these iconic best of moments, it reads a little bit like 1066 and all that. And I can't remember who made the quotation, but history is just one damn thing after another. I did have a little bit that feeling with Napoleon that if you didn't know the context, it'd be just like, say what now? The other half of the film and it really is half of the film, other than the military and the politics, is this apparently grand love story between Napoleon and Josephine. And I'm not entirely sure why Ridley Scott didn't name the film Napoleon and Josephine, because Vanessa Kirby, as Josephine, gets so much of the screen time. The real issue with this part of the film is that the dialogue is appalling. So that the audience I was watching this film with were literally laughing at the film when Josephine is seduced. Using Joaquin Phoenix's Napoleon and there are several dialogue moments all the way through that don't really make sense. I think we're meant to think this is an incredibly fiery, passionate, lustful relationship, that she truly is the love of his life and this is what powers him through his political arc. In fact, the thesis of this film, I would argue, or the thesis of David Scarpa, is that when Napoleon was with Josephine, he was incredibly successful and when he abandoned her because she couldn't give him a child and he needed to have an heir now that he's an emperor, that his his failures came thereafter, which I think is like hugely reductive. You know, Napoleon's success or failure is not about whether he's with or without Josephine, it's about whether he has allowed his military genius to be overwhelmed by his political egotism and his um, totalitarian instincts, right? It's nothing to do with Josephine. And poor Vanessa Kirby is just saddled with such hammy dialogue. Her character doesn't really develop. It's just a completely incredible, literally, relationship. And therefore, if you're hanging half of your film and the audience empathy on this relationship, it's really problematic that it's not engaging in the least. The other problem is casting. And I, I hate to say this because Joaquin Phoenix is phenomenal, I think, as Napoleon. He gets his brutish, kind of weary, sort of egomaniacal nature by the end of the film. The problem is is that Joaquin Phoenix, I think, is in his late 40s, which is the age when Napoleon dies. And there is no attempt to de-age him or to use another actor for his younger years. So he looks similarly weary and cynical and aged in the scenes when he's meant to be charismatic young in his early 20s. And it's really hard to understand why all these politicians would fall sway to him because you never see that charisma. You never see that energy. You never see him as this young, dashing, Romantic with a capital R Hero. So that, I think, is problematic. It's similarly an issue with Vanessa Kirby playing Josephine, because she looks and is, in fact, substantially younger than Joaquin Phoenix in real life. And they don't age her up at all. So the real Josephine was older than Napoleon by, I think, three or four years. When they met, she had already been married before to an aristocrat who was executed in the revolution and had two children. And they were together for 15 years. But obviously, by the end of that relationship, she was finding it hard to conceive because she was basically an older woman. So it gets harder. But there's no sense of that in the film. So there's all these like kind of discussions, a bit like Sophia Coppola's Marie Antoinette about, you know, whose fault is it that, that there's no child occurring? And you think that if they had cast an actress who looked older than Napoleon at the time, that would have made a lot more sense. So I just really feel for Vanessa Kirby in this role. I think it's a thankless role and it just doesn't make sense as it hangs on the screen. So there you have it. If you don't care much about history and you just watch it on its own terms, I think it is a slightly odd film. I would say it zips by. The two and a half hours went very quickly and although there are these slightly at best unengaging and at worst laughable love scenes, it doesn't matter because there are these four battles that intersperse them. And I do think that Ridley Scott films them in a really wonderful way and they, they will carry you through this this film. So I will pause there <laughs> and now let's look at it as a film that is meant to be telling us about one of the most iconic and important characters in history. As I said, the biggest problem with this film is the choice to cast Napoleon so old. So you never understand his dynamism and his charisma and why would Tchaikovsky be so inspired to write music about him and Beethoven. I mean this was a an epic inspiring at, at the time when he was young seen as a progressive liberal democratic force for good. I mean all the humanists, all the quote-unquote right-thinking of people of Europe were inspired by this guy. And the tragedy of Napoleon is that he reaches sort of his his acme of success and then falls into corruption and egomania and dictatorial colonization and excess and ends up in failure as this old failed man who is despised in Europe and is seen as you know a Caesar in all the worst ways that that is depicted. And the problem is, is that in this film, we don't see that arc. We don't see the ageing up and then the ageing down. Given the technology that's available to us today, I'm just not sure why they didn't do that. All that changes when Napoleon is his haircut as we go through this film. I do think it's also problematic that because Napoleon is older, they therefore cast Rupert Everett, who I love, but as the Duke of Wellington. Now, it's a quirk of history that these two generals who fought each other for so long, their military careers go side by side and parallel until this final battle at Waterloo that they were born on literally the same day and you can do a very good side by side comparative history of the two as I think Andrew Roberts has in one of his wonderful books but Rupert Everett in real life is like 20 years older than Joaquin Phoenix and looks it. And it's a wonderful performance. It really is. Actually, I would argue it's the most compelling thing in this film after the Battle of Austerlitz. I I just loved every time the Duke of Wellington was on screen. But it bears no resemblance to the real Duke of Wellington at the time as a soldier. He's rather pompous. He's rather self-confident. When the battle is won, he makes this very portentous sounding statement about the battle is mine and the war will now be over. And the real Duke of Wellington, when the battle was over, fell into tears. He was very moved by all the people who had been killed. And he said, you know, there's no... He makes a very famous statement when he writes his dispatches that the, the worst thing after a battle won is a, a battle lost is a battle won because you have to confront all the people who had been killed and that of course is what marks him out as a great general because he did care about the people who were killed whereas Napoleon I feel by the end this final march from Antibes to Paris to retake France and to fight a very personal battle at the Battle of Waterloo did not care about the many thousands of people who died for him. So those are just two of the things that I think are slightly odd about this film, historically. I mean, people will go through and nitpick all the other things that are obviously historically um, inane. Napoleon was not present at Marie Antoinette's execution. Napoleon did not personally have a meeting with the Duke of Wellington on the Bellerophon to discuss why he wasn't going to be allowed to be exiled in England. Um, there are so many historical inaccuracies. Maybe the worst, actually, is Napoleon riding into battle with Sabre out at Waterloo as if the commanders and chiefs would ever be personally at risk in that way. Kind of insane. But I do think historically they get something right. I think they get right the, the weariness of Napoleon by the end. I think they get right his immature, uh, but maybe justified anger when he gets to Moscow and find there's no one there to take his surrender. And I think they get right to maybe his delusion at the end of Waterloo, thinking he would negotiate his surrender and imprisonment in England. I think he very much thought he was going to get to live out his years in the English countryside, hobnobbing with aristocrats and being a sort of, you know, a notorious but rather great raconteur of some kind. So there are things they get right. But in general, I think the history is a little bit silly. Um, But hey, Ridley Scott doesn't care about history. He holds history in contempt. From his recent interviews, it also sounds like he holds his audiences in contempt, too. And nonetheless, he does seem to make rather captivating films. I will leave it there because I think this is but a holding place in this conversation this is just the two and a half hour theatrical cut of Napoleon we're going to get I think a four hour cut on Apple TV at some point in the future which hopefully will have more battles will have more drama will maybe make more sense out of the Napoleon Josephine relationship because you don't always just get the hysterical arguments and lovemaking and maybe get something more in between that feels more real so let's suspend judgment until that Ridley Scott directs cuts and extended cuts are always better and always make more sense of a theatrical cut. Nonetheless and for all the criticism I've levelled at this film, I really want to encourage you to see it at the cinema if you love military history and if you love battles because I honestly believe that the Battle of Austerlitz is depicted here is really worth seeing on a big screen with amazing audio because the sound design of it and actually the score, I think, is is really well done. So I hope that's helped you understand a little bit of the the upsides and downsides of the new Ridley Scott Napoleon. As I said, the film has a running time of two hours, 40 minutes. It is rated R and is on global release as of this week. Thank you very much for listening. we